I need to dive straight into this message. We have a full morning, something special we want to do here at the end with our graduating <coughs> seniors. A.W. Tozer said, the restoration of the Spirit of God to his rightful place in the church and in the life of the believer is by all means the most important thing that could possibly take place. If you could increase the attendance of your church until there is no more room, if you could provide everything they have in churches that men want and love and value and yet didn't have the Holy Spirit, you might as well have nothing at all. For it is not by might nor by power, but my, my, by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. <clears throat> not by the eloquence of a man, <clears throat> not, by the, not by good music, not by good preaching, but it is by the Spirit that God works His mighty works, end quote. And there you have the reason we've taken the last four weeks to focus on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And I know some questions have arisen. Uh, I, I was surprised, not as many, I didn't get as many questions as I thought I would, but boy, the ones I got were doozies. And uh, I'm just going to jump in. It's a different message today. I want to address some of those questions. I, I, I usually come up here with about eight pages. I have 13 pages. I won't finish it. And I'll tell you, I will. Give me until Tuesday to have this online, transcript and all, with the, the questions I don't get to. I'm not even going to cover everything I have written because I can't. Uh, but I'm going to skim and hit as many of these as I can. Then I'm just going to have to end here in a few moments. You know, I'm not one to over-spiritualize things, but I'll tell you this message in particular has been the most difficult of any we've done on the Spirit, at least for me. Just on a personal standpoint, fighting a cold, still got a chest thing going on two weeks later. Um, doing this message, you know, uh, it, I, again, I don't over-spiritualize things. I want to tell you something. This week, my computer just went kind of crazy. I had a technician in for a couple hours working on it. We moved some files. We did some things. I worked on this message five hours on Friday. I came in Saturday morning. It was gone. It was all gone, you know. And I know, and I go, and, I, and I'm just like, oh, my word, you know. And so then you just kind of crank it back up and try, and try and go again. And last night, before I left, I was here at about 7 last night, I left. And I just thought, okay, I don't need to put this in that file because that file's messed up or something. I'm going to stick this on my desktop. Just hopefully it'll be there, you know, whatever. Y'all, I came in this morning. And, and the file where it was supposed to be, it was gone. Again, it's gone. And thankfully, I saved it to my desktop, so, so, so we've got it. So with that, let's just jump in, okay, to these questions. Here's, the big, here's probably a bigger one. You know, why do some believe that baptism in and by the Spirit is something that happens after conversion, and it is evidenced by speaking in tongues? Now, let me just start with what I taught, what we believe the Bible teaches, that you are baptized in, by, with the Holy Spirit the moment that you and I believe. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Romans 8, 9, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of God, he doesn't belong to God. You, you see, when you trust Christ, you have the Spirit. The Spirit indwells us. The Spirit baptizes us in that moment. And what does that baptism mean? He identifies us. Baptism is identification. He identifies us, places us into the body of Christ, the universal church. 
<clears throat> but why do some believe that you, you become a Christian and spirit baptism happens later? I don't know all the reasons. I, I, I would say the, 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 the primary ones are because when you read the book of Acts, you know what? It actually happens later. So, so there's biblical precedent. Three, three times in Acts, it's like the, they're, they're Christians, <clears throat> and then the Spirit comes and baptizes them, and, and, and they speak in tongues. Some of the time, not all the time. Now, as I go through this, I want you to know, I am, I, I'm, I'm not going to disparage Pentecostals, Charismatics, of, of which I'm not. Uh, I have a brother who is. Um, and some of you come out of that background, some of you may still be there. I, I total respect and fellowship. We disagree, and I hope I disagree in a kind and, and gentle way, but I, I'm responsible for you and me, and therefore I, I will say some things dogmatically where I can, and where I can't, I won't. Uh, and, and really, I'm responding to your questions, not so much answering them, because oh, some of the stuff I don't know. But I'll respond as best I can. Why do they believe that it comes later? Well, three times in the book of Acts, the, the baptism of the Spirit comes later. Let's, let's just consider those in, in this regard. This is where we apply biblical hermeneutics, which is a big word for biblical principles of interpretation. And two very key principles we must keep in mind when we're in any, any, any book is what kind of literature is it? Y'all, we don't throw ourselves at the Bible and just go, it's all the same. No, there's poetry, there's apocalyptic literature, there's historical narrative, there are epistles or letters, and you interpret them different. You don't interpret a poem the same way you would interpret a historical narrative. I mean, the poem's full of hyperbole and whatnot. The book of Acts is historical narrative. You all, it's describing a story of things that actually happen, but it's not always prescribing this is the way it must be. <clears throat> if you want to get to where the Bible prescribes things, you go to the letters in the New Testament when Paul writes to the Romans and let me, he says, let me tell you about justification by faith alone in Christ alone. You go to the letters, Galatians. Some of you guys have gotten off track here. Let me explain the gospel of grace, <clears throat> doctrinal statements in there. But in a historical narrative, I mean, things happen, and it's like, wow, that's amazing. Oh, my gosh, did you see that? It's all that, but it's not saying, and therefore, this is how it will happen all the time, and this is what you must do. Everybody with me? This is a historical narrative, so we're going to interpret it that way. Secondly, we must, uh, you need to understand that the book of Acts is a transitional book. It is a transitional book. You read, you know, the letter to the Ephesians. That's, not a, that's a letter it's a doctrinal letter, and it's very specific about what they're talking about. It's not transitional as in it begins here and it's describing something that happens over time and keeps moving. Acts is transitional. We are going from the Old Testament to the New Testament church. The Old Covenant to the New Covenant. We're going from the whole Bible's about the nation of Israel to, well, the whole Bible's about all the people of God, including Gentiles. It's transitioning. When you start a business and you start off doing things, you encounter things you didn't expect, and you go, we didn't plan on that, and someone turns to you and says, what do we do about this? And you go, we'll pull up, get the policy manual. You go, we don't have a policy manual. We've been, we've been doing this for two years. We don't have a policy manual yet. We need to write, okay, let's write a policy manual. Something else happened. You need to add that to the policy manual because we didn't, you know, and things change as it goes. Y'all, that's what's happening in the book of Acts. The church is birthed. 
Oh my, the Spirit indwells people, not just special people for special occasions, but everyone who believes. And now we're all identified in this body called the body of Christ. It's a real, it's a spiritual body. And how do we get, and all along the way, they're doing things in the beginning, they're experiencing things that they don't experience later on. And this is an overstatement, but it's relative, it's true to the text. They're learning as they go. We get to watch it unfold and, oh, you do it this You know, the first time someone sold a piece of land and gave the proceeds, they lied about it. Ananias and Sapphira, what happened to them? Seriously. Does that still happen today? (laughs) I don't know. What did you give today? You know, so you got to go, no. (laughs) That that happened and it was real, okay? But, but. Is that, do we say that today? Everybody needs to be honest about what they give or you're going to die? No. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying here? See how that book is transitional and things you get to later in Acts? That's not how they were doing it the first in Acts. So when we understand at least just those two things, just, just those two, and, and we come to this book and we go, oh, wait a minute. There are three times in this book when it looks like, well, when the Holy Spirit comes later. Okay, there's the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. He comes later. Well, no. It's a historical narrative. And it's transitional in nature. And when we look at the three occurrences when this happens, when people believe and then the Holy Spirit comes uh, later, I, th- I think there are explanations for that. For example, <clears throat> the, the first and most you know, vivid time we remember is the day of Pentecost. Remember the 120 are in the room? Everybody with me? They're in the room. And the Holy Spirit, they, he's, they're baptized with the Spirit. Man, they speak in tongues and it's amazing. <clears throat> now we know for a fact, this is not conjecture, Just a few days earlier, Jesus had looked at his disciples and said, do not go out and make disciples of all nations, yet I want you to wait in Jerusalem. So so now we go, okay, so Jesus told them to wait. Now, people can argue on this. Were were those disciples Christians at that moment? Well, I believe they were. I I believe they were were Christians, but they weren't indwelt by the Spirit yet because Jesus said you got to wait for it. Now, Jesus... He never does anything just happenstance. Like, you know, I want to hang out a few days before you go out. No, no, there's a reason. Redemptive history, Old Testament, three great festivals, three great festivals, Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. These are the biggies. All the males had to come to Jerusalem. You understand that Jesus Christ was crucified during Passover. Passover is that time when they slayed the lamb, put the blood on the doorpost because they were slaves in Egypt, and God delivered them. You know, it's like, oh my goodness, and Jesus, the lamb of God, was slain, oh my gosh, on Passover, and his blood was poured out. And we're freed from the bondage of sin. You see that? This is no accident. Now, they had been for thousands of years celebrating not just Passover, but this next feast called the Feast of Weeks. It's called Pentecost. I mean, that's the name before the Spirit ever fell. Pentas is 50. Well, that feast occurs every year, 50 days after Passover. Seven weeks plus a day. Somewhere between Passover and this celebration of Pentecost... Jesus had, had them together and said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem and I'm gonna baptize you with the Spirit a few days from now. Can you believe 
They didn't know it was going to happen. But it was on the day of Pentecost, the day of the great feast, the Holy Spirit baptizes them. They are indwelt by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. They speak in tongues. Now, if Passover was about their deliverance from bondage to slavery, that's what Passover's about. You know what the Feast of Weeks is about? For hundreds of years, every year, they celebrate the Feast of Weeks to celebrate the first fruits of the harvest. Now put put this together. So the Holy Spirit, who Jesus says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses to go and make disciples. Think about this. They celebrate for hundreds of years Pentecost. God, it's the first of the harvest and you bring it in. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, the power that empowers us to go and harvest people's souls happens on that very day. You remember Jesus by the, with the woman at the well? Remember when he looked out across the fields and said the fields are white for harvest because the guys are walking toward them with these white tunics and whatnot? Y'all, is, is, what a coincidence. No, it's not a coincidence. This is redemptive history. And so Jesus very specifically said, no, 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 you, you know, they're, they're, they're believers. I believe they're believers. But he had them wait until Pentecost, the Spirit falls, and it's a reminder. And, and I wish it was more of a reminder to us that when the Spirit indwells us, he is a spirit of mission. He is a spirit that is going He is the spirit who goes and brings in the harvest. You see that? That's what he reminds them of. And to the degree that we're not harvesting, quite frankly, you know, we're not walking in the spirit. Does that make sense to everyone? So that explains, you know, Pentecost. Okay, Lord, what about the other two times the spirit came later? Well, very quickly, Acts chapter 8, the Samaritans have come to faith. The apostles in Jerusalem hear about it. They send two apostles, go check this out. The two apostles get to Samaria. They're speaking to the Samaritans about faith and the Holy Spirit comes on them. Now, you go, okay, so that came later, so maybe that's how it always happens. Well, think about this. The Jews hated the Samaritans. This is like Jewish Arab today. I mean, it was just, it's deep, deep in their blood for generations. And I, I do believe, and I'm not the only one, you know, it's not, not me. I mean, when you study this and scholars say, recognize that clearly God wanted the apostles as this church is getting going and the church has always struggled early on. It always struggled with it's just for us Jews and God had to keep slapping their hands, so to speak, and going, come on, you guys, it's not just for you. And so God took those two apostles, put them right there with these despised Samaritans and allowed them to see the spirit come on them just like, Peter even says this, just like he came on us and the, and the apostles have to go what? Well, it's for the Samaritans too. You see that? So that's the reason that one was later. What about the third one? Acts 19, Paul's on his third missionary journey and comes across about a dozen guys. They think they're Christians. He says, well, what were you baptized in? And they said, we were baptized in the baptism of John, baptism of repentance back here early in the Gospels. And, and Paul says, what about the Holy Spirit? And do you know what they said? Uh, we never heard of him. <laughs> Who is he? 
I mean, they literally didn't know. So, so you know, clearly when Paul gave them, spoke the gospel to them, they became, I believe they put their faith in Christ, and yes, the Holy Spirit fell upon them at that time. So I'm giving you the three instances when the Holy Spirit came upon a people, okay, after they had believed. And the third one, they weren't even Christians. I don't believe at all. That's the reason, that, that, that's, my, that's my biblical argument per se for, for those who say, well, those give us a reason to believe the Spirit comes later. No, he doesn't. He comes the moment that you believe. You know, what, um, what, about, the, what about the tongues, Lloyd? Well, well, you know, we could spend a ton of time on this, couldn't we? But <clears throat> I, I, I will say this. <clears throat> when people were baptized by the Spirit and filled with the Spirit in the book of Acts, they all didn't speak in tongues. So let's just go, let's go. It's not, it's, that's not a universal thing. It literally didn't happen in Acts that way. We have no record of the apostles speaking in tongues after that uh, uh, day of Pentecost. Paul says he does, but we don't have any record of the, You know what I'm saying? The other ones do. So I want to be very clear on this. Let's, let's, let's be, be, I can be dogmatic on this. That didn't happen every time. You know, when, when, when uh, the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches a sermon. He, he, he preached it in English, so to speak. He preached it in Aramaic. He didn't preach in a tongue, per se. And 3,000 people came to faith. There's no, there's no indication that with those 3,000 people, there were flames that looked like fire, and there was this whoosh, whooshing sound of noise. And there's no indication that 3,000 spoke in tongues, okay? So it didn't happen to them. Well, what, Lloyd, when you say tongues, what are you talking about? I want to be very clear on this. It is inarguable, inarguable, that the tongues spoken in Acts chapter 2 were known languages, foreign languages, that the <coughs> disciples didn't know how to speak. It is just like me right now speaking Russian. If, if Russian started coming out of my mouth right now, I would say to you, I think this is biblical tongues, glossolalia. It, it, this, I'm speaking in tongues if I spoke in Russian. Now, here, here would be the issue. If I did, someone in the room would need to know what I'm saying, or I'm not even close to biblical tongues. I used to always fear this. I don't fear this anymore. It could happen. But I used to always be afraid I'm going to be up here teaching, and someone's going to speak up in tongues, and I'm going to go, oh, my God. And... Uh, and I go, you know, here's the thing, though. If that were to happen, and by the way, if that happened, whatever, whoever spoke up, it, it better be a foreign language, and there better be someone in this room who knows what this person said, and then we would go, wow, and we'd move on, okay? Um, it, but that's, that's, that's tongues here. Now, some of you, some of, some of you go to 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul speaks of a prayer language, but he says, you know, it's, it's angelic. And, and, and you go, well, that's different. That, that's a personal prayer language. You edify yourself. We believe, when you properly look at that in its context, in the context of the whole, that, that the, the tongues that Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians 12, I believe it's still foreign. I, I think it's still the same thing. I cannot be dogmatic on that. Okay, I'm not going to be dogmatic on that. Some of you have spoken in that prayer language. I don't doubt this at all. Some of you are looking at me right now and you're going, it's one of the most precious things in my life. I, I, sometimes I'll pray in a prayer language. I'm not gonna argue with you on that. 
I don't believe that's what Paul's talking about there. I think he's talking about tongues as a language that's not known, but you speak a language, you know, I'm speaking, you know, Portuguese right now. Well, what do you make of that, Lloyd? And what, what are you going to say to people who, who have this? I'm, I'm going to say, I, I don't know, you know. I mean, if that's what you believe that says in 1 Corinthians and it, it brings you some measure of intimacy with God, then <clears throat> I'm okay. You know, I'm just going to go, okay, it's not what I'm going to teach. It's not how I'm going to lead this body. It's not what Rob and I are going to teach. I don't believe that's what the Bible says. And I would just say, be careful. I, I'm, I don't mean to, I'm not making fun of this at all, but I'm telling you, <clears throat> there's just some crazy stuff that happens when you start going around with believing a separate baptism, believing tongues or this and that. And, and, and again, I know people that are way smarter than me. I'm not making light of this, but, you know, they, they will tell you that, uh, you know, that everyone should pray to speak in tongues. That's what Paul said and et cetera, et cetera. And, and they'll actually teach you how to pray in tongues. And I know some of you ex- have experienced this. You know, you, it'll be, you know, you need to relax. You need to, you know, you need to just think about God. <sighs> Open your mouth and start making sounds. I mean, that's, that happens. That's the way people often teach you how to speak in tongues. And, you know, and I, I think it can happen. I don't think it's biblical tongues, but it's a, it's a psychological, quite frankly, phenomena that can happen. Now, the times I've heard people speak in tongues, and I'm not this, when I do this, I'm doing it just to give you guys some ideas, because sometimes we get weirded out, you know, and freaked out about this, and I don't think we need to be. But when I've been in places where people have spoken in tongues, I, this is, I'm just telling you, this is what it sounds like to me when people have done it. It sounded something like this. Now, I'm not trying to be stupid or silly. I'm being serious. That's what it sounds like. Now, to, now that's not a language. That is, that's just syllables and consonants. And some people say that's the angelic language, that, that you know, I just feel closer to God when I pray that, and only God understands. I've got a brother who's charismatic and, 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 and believes that. And I'm, we used to argue all the time about the Holy Spirit. That doesn't make sense, does it? But, we, but now, you know, I just go, you know, okay. okay. I, I don't believe that's true, you know. I think you're just making syllables. Now, when you do something like that, do you feel something? I don't doubt that you would feel some energy pop or some, something, and I go with it. I don't know what that is, okay? Um, I don't believe that's biblical tongues. I don't believe that tongues are a sign that you're filled with the Spirit. That is not what the Bible teaches. I agree with Lehman Strauss when he writes this about this phenomena. He says, first, speaking in tongues can be self-induced. You can. You can make yourself kind of do all kinds of things. Um, second, speaking in tongues can be group-induced. I, I, I know many who have been just, you're in a group somewhere and something's happening and you just kind of go with the flow and, and it can be group-induced. And he says, third, speaking in tongues can be satanically induced. I, I'm not saying that to spook anybody, but I'm just telling you there's a spiritual world and we need to be aware and careful. And man, the Bible says examine these things. And I, I, I'm warning you as one of your shepherds, you get in a setting where someone's trying to tell you you must speak in tongues and they tell you to do something I'd run, I would go, I would leave. That's not, that's not biblical. <clears throat> well, I've spent all the whole time talking about the baptism of the Spirit in tongues, and I got 18 other questions. No, I don't have 18 others, but I do have some others that I got to hit really, really quick. But the reason I took so much time on this baptism being secondary and being evidenced by tongues is because if you get off track on that, you do open yourself up to some really crazy 
things. And so that's why if, you can, if we can be clear on what the baptism of the Spirit is, when it happens, what it means, if we can be clear on what the Bible teaches about tongues and what they are and what they mean, then, then we don't, you know what I'm saying? Then we're not going to stray off in all these ways. So that's why that's so important. I'll say it again. My notes are going to be online by, at least by Wednesday, and so you'll have all the details because I'm skipping tons of stuff here. Let me hit this real quick. Is it appropriate to pray to the Holy Spirit? Yes, but yes, the Holy Spirit's God. Jesus is God. Father's God. Do you pray to Jesus ever? I'm, I'm not, I'm, I do. I can pray to Jesus. He's God. I pray to the Father, yes. Do I pray to the Spirit? Yes, I do. Um, he's God. He's fully God. We're in a relationship with him. Talk to him, you know. Talk to Jesus. Talk. But, what's my but? My, my, my but is, and I'm sure they're going to work on this in some video someday when I'm saying that out of context. <laughs> but it is, it is to say that the overwhelming weight of the Bible is we pray to God the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit, and in the name of Jesus who secured our audience with the Father. That's just the overwhelming evidence. So, so if your prayers are like equally distributed, Spirit, Son, Father, it's, I'm not, that's not wrong, but that's not the, that's not the ark of the Bible. The ark, you know, Jesus, they said, Jesus teach how to pray. What did he say? Our Father who are, you know, see, it's, it's to the Father who sent the Son and the whole, listen, the hero of the story is, y'all, the hero of the story is Jesus. The Holy Spirit always shines a light on Jesus. The Father delights in Jesus. And so our prayers, I think, need to reflect the gospel of redemption. Oh, God, the Father, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son Jesus. Jesus, thank you for being obedient to the Father to come. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you, you, Holy Spirit, are actually putting these words in my mouth because otherwise I would never know that God the Father loved me so much he sent his son. So Holy Spirit, thank you for living in me. You see, it's, it's gospel-oriented, it's redemption-oriented. So is it appropriate to pray to the Holy Spirit? Yes, but is the Holy Spirit male or female? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Y'all, this is one... You know how you can go online and you're doing, your, I don't know, you're shopping for a new shirt. And the next thing you know, you're looking at uh, glass bottom huts in Tahiti. What did I get over there to Tahiti? To, this is one of those. It's the Holy Spirit, male or female. I was just all over the map on this. It's not a simple answer. And you, you're going to have to, we got to, all we're going to take is what the scripture says, which is not going to, it's not going to hammer it down and say, yes, no, yes, you know. So let me answer it this way. We know for a fact, God has revealed himself, that God is a spirit. Is everybody with me? God is a spirit. You do understand that spirit, a spirit has no body. A spirit has no body. Male and female have to do with a body. Therefore, when we think of God, is he male or female? We go, wait, wait, God is spirit. To ask if God's male or female is one of those questions that don't make any sense. Because spirit is genderless. He's spirit. 
Are you with me so far? So God's not male or female. You know, he's not one of the, God has no, and I'm gonna be graphic here. God, God has no hair. God, God has no eyes. God has no genitalia. There's no sexual orientation. He's God, okay, and he's spirit. So the question's kind of irrelevant at one level. But why do we stumble over this? When God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. So, so God, you know, we're, 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 we don't make God in our image. God says, based on his image, he, he made humanity male and female. And by the way, this is a later topic, but gender matters. Male and female. So male and female to, together in some mysterious way, together reflect the image of God. I, I'm not sure how that works, but it's to, it's, you can't say, he didn't say and he made him in his image male. Because then we say, okay, males reflect it. No, he said male and female. So in a mystery together, male, female are a reflection of God's image. But God's a spirit. He doesn't, Lloyd, he doesn't have, he's not male or female. Exactly. He, he's chosen to reveal himself in his image in maleness and femaleness. But as spirit, he transcends maleness and femaleness. He's beyond maleness and femaleness. And you go, nah, now you just broke my brain cells, you know. And I go, I know, I, me, me too, you know. But that's what the Bible describes. Now, the challenge is when we read our Bibles, I've said it several times when I've referred to God, I've said he. You never heard me say she. And some, you know, I want to be sensitive to this, but some, you know, feminist theologians and others kind of get, well, isn't the Holy Spirit feminine and isn't God feminine? And, and you know, there's a lot of this going around. Men and women, I, I want you to know you will never, you, you can't find in the Bible God referred to as she. What you will find in the Bible is God referred to as he. John, when he wrote, in, uh, the up, when, when uh, recorded Jesus' words in the upper room, Jesus says, I'm gonna send the spirit and the spirit's gonna guide you into all truth. The word spirit is, uh, it's neuter in, in, the, in the Greek, that word spirit, meaning it's not neither male nor female, it's just neuter. The rules of grammar say if, if this noun is neuter, then the pronoun must be neuter as well. But what John does under the inspiration of the Spirit is he says the Spirit, neuter, is going to come. And the next pronoun he uses is very clearly masculine. He just broke the rules of grammar. Oh, there's an error in the Bible. No, there's not. Jesus is, John recorded and Jesus is saying, the spirit is a he. It's not chauvinistic. It's, it's none of those things. This is God in his divine design has chosen to reveal himself in this way. And so you will never hear, and I don't, I don't believe it's biblical, to call God a she. He doesn't call himself a she calls himself a he. Fourth, are all the, 
time is here, because time-wise, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hit a crunch. Are all the gifts of the Spirit still operating today? Boy, I've got so much to say on this. You know what? When people ask this question, are all the gifts operating today? Let me say real quickly. Spiritual gifts are divine enablements that the Holy Spirit, his discretion, gives to everyone who believes that enables every Christian to contribute to the building up of the body. That's what a spiritual gift is, charismata, gift of grace. So if you're a Christian in this room today, please understand you have a spiritual gift. You have, God has given you a, a gifting, an enablement that you are to use to strengthen the church and start with the one you're at, start the one you belong to, then strengthen the universal church. Um, and there are three passages that... Uh, Three passages of scripture that describe these gifts. And wouldn't you know it, they're all three uh, incomplete. They overlap a little. They have new ones to add, whatever. So when we take all three of them, what we understand is, wow, these lists, there's probably more. There's probably more gifts than are listed. And, And I believe there are, but you know, they didn't list them all per se. But when people say, are the gifts are, the, are, the, all, are all the gifts functioning today? Guess which gifts most people want to know are functioning today? Yeah, we'll put tongues to the side because I addressed that, but healing and miracles. You have two camps, cessationists and continuationists. Well, the, the words describe themselves. So you have some that would say, no, the, the gifts, those certain gifts uh, and miracles and healing in particular, they, they ceased because now we have the whole scripture, uh, miracles validated those who were speaking, and so they have ceased, the cessationists. The continuationist says, no, everything that's functioning, in every, all, of, all of God's word is applicable for us today, and everything that happened in Acts should be happening today, continuations. Now, it's very easy to paint either one of these camps into a box, and I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm not going to do it. I want you to understand that, that you know, people who are cessationists, they're not saying God doesn't do miracles. They're not saying God doesn't heal. No, 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 no. So, so don't paint them into that. Don't paint either camp into that box, okay? Is everybody with me? <clears throat> Does God do the miraculous today? I'm talking miracles today. And does God heal today? I'm talking the cancer's there, the cancer's gone. Does he do miracles today? Absolutely. Absolutely. I believe that. I, I think the Bible teaches that. Listen, the question really becomes, is the gift... Today, are there people on the planet with the gift of miracles, and it's a gift, and the gift of healing? I don't know. I I don't know. I know a lot of what I see on TV. I don't think that's what the Bible, that doesn't look like the way that it was done. It doesn't seem appropriate. So if you ask me, is the gift in some people today to literally, as they didn't, you got to go here. Listen, man, they raised dead people. I mean, they, they healed with a touch. I mean, real, you know, not just popping somebody out and they fall out. And again, I'm not making fun of that, but it's a lot of emotionalism stuff. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But does God do miracles? Absolutely. Real miracles. Does God really heal people today? Absolutely. In his sovereign kindness, and sometimes he does it. I don't know about the gift. Everybody with me on that? That's all I can tell you. Um, okay, uh, 
Last thing, and I'm gonna get this in really quick. How do you know when you're being led by the Spirit and not by the pizza, not by the thoughts, not by the desires? Okay, because this is, this is a lot, and I'm probably gonna shake some of you with this when I say it. Does God still speak today? I believe he does. And when I say God speaks today, I'm, not, I'm saying God doesn't speak, and then we gotta record it because God has spoken now, it's in his word. God has spoken, and he has spoken clearly, and it's all here. But does God speak? Y'all... I'm in a relationship with God. Last time I checked, every relationship requires two-way communication. I'm in a relationship with Jesus. I'm in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. The last time I checked, to be in a relationship requires communication. So, Lloyd, you're saying God speaks to you? Yeah, I think God does. Lloyd, how does God speak to you? I don't hear the audible. Let me ask you this. Seven o'clock last night, I decide I better save this to the desktop because it may not be here tomorrow. Was that just me being wise? Was that just the way humans work? God gave me a brain, I used it? Well, yeah, but I could have not thought of that. So do I think the Holy Spirit prompted that? Yes. You, how do you know when God's speaking to you? Well, Jesus says the sheep will recognize his voice. I'm telling you, the more familiar you are with the word of God as given, the, the more attuned you're going to be to that sense of, I think God's leading me in this direction. Are you guys with me? I'm just, I'm not trying to weird you out. I'm, please hear me say, God doesn't speak and then it's his infallible word. But God does impress upon us things. God in our quiet time speaks from his word or, or you just sense God leading or, in, in, or moving you to do something, make a choice. I think that's the Holy Spirit. Now let me give you four guardrails. I'm just going to tell you, if these guardrails are up, then I say, man, drive like you're on the Autobahn. You know, not like you're on an interstate. I mean, go for it if these four things are up in your life. First is the decision and the direction in line with Scripture. I mean, is God telling you to do something that's out of line with this? Then, then you're, you're off the reservation, man. I mean, this is, not, this is what he said. Does it align with that? Second, is the decision and direction affirmed by your community? Bounce it off anybody? Other Christians know you're going to do this? You know, because we're late to live in community. Third, does the decision glorify God? And fourth, does the decision and direction express the fruit of the Spirit? I finally got to the fruit. So if you're going to juice something... Is it motivated by and does it express? This is absolutely, if it doesn't, then you don't. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I'm gonna go do this and it, ooh, doesn't even line up with the fruit of the Spirit. (laughs) The Spirit that lives in me that produces his life through me. You guys with me? Man, listen, if those things are there, jump, run, go, do it. Trust the Spirit's leading. I have thought a lot about this question. No one asked it. But I've been thinking a lot about what would a church look like that's filled with the Spirit. I don't know everything, but I do know this one thing. I'm absolutely convinced of this. A church that's filled with the Spirit, which is our hope for us, will pray. Show me some other mark of dependence. I don't, I mean, there are other ones, but pray. We get to pray today for a special group of people. I want Bubba Frizzell to join me. Uh, Bubba is on our student ministry staff. He focuses upon high school students. Uh, Lisa and I have had the benefit of Bubba's influence in all of our kids' lives in amazing, amazing ways. And uh, we're going to end our time today spirit-filled, praying for a group of young men and women who are graduating.